Banks are the backbone of modern financial systems. They are like the heart is to the body, pumping cash through the economy so that we can all enjoy the goods and services that we often take for granted. Today, we're going to look at the largest bank in the United States, J.P. Morgan Chase. It's estimated that a full 50% of Americans have some touch point with the bank, with its reach expanding over the decades. We'll study both the history, the business model, and financials of this titan in the banking industry. My name is Alex Mason, and I'm your host and stock storyteller. Welcome to Stock Stories. This is the podcast and show where we're studying every business in the S&P 500, and we've studied well over 140 businesses so far. So let's go ahead and talk about J.P. Morgan Chase now, and starting with the history of the business. The business J.P. Morgan Chase as we know it today actually started out as three separate businesses. First, there was the Manhattan Company, which was founded in 1799 by Aaron Burr. Then there was J.P. Morgan and Company, founded in 1871 by a man named John Pierpont Morgan, who was a New York City financier. It became known as a high prestige bank in the New York area. And then third, you had Chase National Bank. This was founded by a man named John Thompson in the year 1877. And if you're wondering where the Chase name came from, it comes from a man named Salmon Chase, who was the sixth chief justice of the United States. Now, John Thompson started another bank aside from Chase National Bank called the First National Bank, and that ended up becoming a predecessor of today's Citibank. Now, we have these three firms, and it's important to note that all of these firms were founded in New York. New York City has a long history of being a financial center for the nation, eventually extending its influence globally as the U.S. rose to power after World War I and World War II. These young banks began to thrive as the U.S. economy began to take shape throughout the 1800s. Fast forward to the early 1900s. In 1929, the U.S. economy crashed due to speculation in the stock market, high levels of debt, and slowing production. One of the results in the aftermath of all of this chaos that we now know as the Great Depression was something called the Glass-Steagall Act of 1933. And what this did was it forced banks that did both commercial banking as well as investment banking to split up. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Well, commercial banking is lending money out to businesses and individuals. Investment banking is a little bit different. It's used to structure deals for companies to buy and sell each other, as well as underwriting stocks and bonds of new companies. So similar but different lines of business, and this act split the banks up. J.P. Morgan & Company was one of these companies that got split, and they spun off their investment banking division, which became Morgan Stanley. In 1955, Chase National Bank and the Manhattan Company decided to merge to form a company called Chase Manhattan, which at the time made it the largest bank in New York City and the second largest in the nation. Now, fast forwarding a little bit more toward the end of the 20th century, elements of the Glass-Steagall Act were gradually repealed or worked around. And that allowed J.P. Morgan and Company to get back into its investment banking roots, which it did so swiftly in the 1980s and 1990s. In 2000, Chase Manhattan merged with J.P. Morgan and Company to become J.P. Morgan Chase, the name that we know today. And then in 2004, the combined company made a major acquisition of a company called Bank One, which was one of the country's largest credit card issuers. And fun fact here, Jamie Dimon, who was the CEO of Bank One, eventually became CEO of JPMorgan Chase, and he's still the CEO today. 
Let's turn our attention now to the business model of JP Morgan and Chase. The first thing that I want to make clear is the business model of a bank in general. Banks make money in two main ways, interest and fees. As far as interest, that's money that the bank mains from the loans that it lends to customers. With fees, it can be an array of many different fees, from investment advisory fees to investment banking fees to overdraft fees, all kinds of fees. <laughs> but essentially, they are basically a toll on the financial transactions that the bank initiates for its clients. So those are the two primary ways that banks make money. For JP Morgan specifically, it has four different divisions. There's consumer and community banking, corporate and investment banking, commercial banking, and then assets and wealth management. Let's explore each of these so that you understand exactly what they do. First of all, consumer and community banking is the main touch point that JP Morgan has with the public. Individuals can open checking and saving accounts. They can make deposits or withdrawals of their money. Small businesses can take out loans. People can get Chase credit cards, auto loans, or home mortgages. All of those products are part of this segment. In the corporate and investment banking segment, JP Morgan Chase helps businesses raise equity and debt capital. For example, going public with an initial public offering, advising on mergers and acquisitions, as well as other things. In the commercial banking segment, the business makes commercial and industrial loans, real estate loans, as well as some investment banking revenue as well for work related to commercial clients. And then the last division is the asset and wealth management division. Now, JPMorgan Chase manages over $4 trillion in assets under management, which I had to read that twice because it's such an unbelievable number to me. But they manage that money for institutional clients as well as high net worth individuals. So essentially, people will pay them to invest their money for them. Let's take a few minutes now to look at the current financials of JPMorgan Chase and try to understand the health of this business from a financial perspective. So first thing that I noticed looking at this business is that the revenue is split pretty evenly between interest income and non-interest income. The interest income was about $61 billion, the non-interest income about $66 billion, and this is for the year 2022. And then some of the trends are that the company made most of its non-interest income on things like emerging markets currency trading and equity derivatives, pretty fancy financial stuff, as well as asset management commissions. Now, with a bank, financial strength and liquidity is super important. And we've learned that through recent bank failures like Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic Bank also having trouble. But JP Morgan Chase is one of the most liquid banks. They have over $600 billion in securities. Now, I have to note that almost $200 billion of that is borrowed securities, but they do still have a good amount of liquid assets. And then as far as debt levels go, they have about $300 billion in long-term debt. So not a super huge amount of debt relative to the assets on their balance sheet and relative to their revenue and security and cash levels, but something to keep in mind. Looking at the cash flows of this business, one thing that I was encouraged to see looking at the cash flow statement of JP Morgan was that its operating cash had improved a lot over the past few years. They had actual losses of $80 billion in operating cash flow in 2020, but they brought that up very nicely to over $100 billion in positive operating cash flow in 2022. So the business has recovered nicely from the pandemic and seems to be pretty strong. People are spending again. Americans are spending lots of money again. And even though there are definitely some cracks in the economy, 2022 showed that spending is robust. 
Now, out of those four divisions of the business that we looked at a few minutes ago, you may be wondering which of these are most important to JP Morgan's business. And it turns out that the consumer and community banking, as well as the corporate and investment banking divisions, are the two segments that bring in the most revenue and over half of the profit. So those are really the primary drivers, the primary engines of the economics of JP Morgan Chase. Now, one of the big risks here that individual investors should be aware of is that even though this is an amazing bank with a fortress balance sheet, it is still a bank. And there are a ton of regulations with this kind of business. And there's a lot of capital requirements to make sure that the bank is stable because so much of the economy depends on bank stability. If people can't get access to credit, if people can't get access to liquidity, that a cascading effect tends to happen throughout the economy. And then things tend to get bad in many other industries, creating recessions and depressions. So that's a risk to think about here. So JP Morgan Chase is a large bank. How do they return cash to shareholders? Well, they buy back a little bit of their stock, not a ton to be honest, but they're definitely not diluting their shareholders. And then they do pay a very nice dividend. Their dividend yield right now is about 3%. Okay, so the bank pays a dividend and that's nice, but how do we expect revenue and profits to grow from here? Well, in the current interest rate environments, we have to understand how interest rates affect banks. With interest rates rising in the United States, it kind of has this interesting effect. On the one hand, the bank makes more money on interest income because they make more money on the cash that they hold and the deposits that they have. And of course, they pay you and I, individuals who have money with Chase, a lower interest rate than the amount that they collect on their loans. So they make more money on the spread there. So that's a positive for JP Morgan Chase future revenue and growth if interest rates stay at elevated levels. On the flip side, it can be bad because as we see with certain divisions like the investment banking division, which had over 43% drop in revenue, economic activity can slow in many areas of the economy because the cost of capital for businesses to borrow and make transactions actually happen is much higher. So it can affect the business in both good and bad ways. Now, ultimately, though, I do think rising interest rates will benefit JP Morgan Chase and other banks as long as, and this is a very important caveat, <laughs> as long as the overall system remains robust and people continue to spend. That's going to be key here to watch if people continue to spend money, if businesses continue to have faith in the economy that's something that I'll look at with JP Morgan Chase stock as well as other bank stocks. One thing that I'm liking right now is the stock price. It seems like it's trading at a relatively good valuation. The stock price is at about $137 per share as I record this now, which is about 10 times the trailing earnings of the bank, which for a bank, I think that's actually pretty reasonable. I mean, even in this interest rate environment, you're getting a good earnings yield on your money here. I think the reason that the price is trading at these levels is because there is some uncertainty and some fear around interest rates, around if the economy is going to hold up, which of course we don't know for sure, but JP Morgan is one of the strongest banks out there. And so I believe that they will likely weather whatever storm comes. Uh, so that's my opinion on JP Morgan Chase. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you. And you can always reach out to me at alex at stockstoriespodcast.com. I am your stock storyteller. Have a great day.